Futurized goes beneath the trends to track the underlying forces of disruption in technology, policy, business models, social dynamics, and the environment. I'm your host, Trulnarna Unheim, futurist and author. In episode 110 of the podcast, the topic is the metaverse reality. Our guest is Mark van Rijmenam, PhD and futurist and founder of Dataflock and Maven. In this conversation, we talk about the organization of tomorrow, the increasing blending of online and offline worlds, reality and virtual reality into a hybrid reality. In a metaverse, we might find sovereign identities where people and bots work, play, learn and consume, operating in an increasingly virtually empowered world. We discuss the potential of an impending productization of that hybrid reality with unforeseeable consequences. Before you do anything else, make sure you are subscribed to our newsletter on futurost.org, where you can find hundreds of episodes of conversations that matter to the future. I hope you can also leave a positive review on iTunes or in your favorite podcast player. It really matters to the future of this podcast. Thanks so much. Let's begin. Mark, how are you? Hello, Trump. I'm very well, thanks. How are you? Things are great. Things are great. I'm excited to talk about uh, the metaverse. It's a new and evolving thing. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a fascinating topic to talk about. So I'm very much looking forward to our conversation. And you and I are oldies in this metaverse. <laughs> I think so. It yeah. appears we are. Yeah, yeah. Mark, uh, Dr. Mark, I should say, PhD from Sydney. Uh, what's the story on that? I mean, you got yourself on a, on a bike and then you ended up in Sydney. And what's, that, what's going on there? Yeah, that's true. So it, 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 it goes way back uh, to 2007 when I did a, a backpacking trip, as all Europeans uh, do um, yes. uh, when, when they are finishing uh, either university or college. Um, so I went to Australia to, to do a backpacking trip, loved it. Um, fast forward a, a couple of years, um, I, I was in a pub with a mate and we decided, well, one day we're going to do a, a big cycling trip. So uh, we shook hands and drank a beer and uh, nothing happened. <laughs> uh, a few years later, we decided, okay, we really have to do it. Let's do it. Let's not muck around and let's just go for this trip. Uh, so we decided to cycle around Australia on a, on a push bike um, for, to raise money for a children's cancer fund here in the Netherlands. Uh, we raised about, uh, I think, uh, 25,000 euros, uh, which was a fantastic thing uh, to do. Uh, but yeah, also the trip itself was amazing. Uh, 100 days, uh, it's the same distance, same time frame as four times to the France, back to back. Um, and it was just an absolutely fantastic experience. And once you have done that, you know, uh, you, know you, you can conquer the, the, conquer the world. I fell in love with Australia. Um, and uh, again, fast forward about, what is it, uh, six years I was offered uh, uh, two scholarships uh, to do a PhD at the University of Technology in Sydney, and I couldn't resist it. Uh, so I, I moved to Australia for a few years. And, and you know, no, knowing the topic that I did my PhD on, it, it's not the most logical place to do a PhD. But, you know, I just wanted to live in Australia, and I got the opportunity, so I, so I grabbed, uh, grabbed it with two hands. Mark, you, you've grabbed uh, quite a few opportunities. I think, you know, we're, we're similar that way. You've done a, a bunch of different things. Your latest book, Organization of Tomorrow, is on, you know, AI, blockchain, and analytics, and turning, you know, basically uh, businesses into data organizations. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. You're co-founder of a couple of companies. Dataflox, one of them. Content platform on emerging technologies. You recently founded Maven, uh, which I guess is a tool to fight misinformation. Yes. Um, but where I wanted to start with you, I think, is not quite the metaverse. I think we need to edge our way in there. I mean, I find it a bit of a scary place. But uh, you did give the first TEDx talk on virtual reality, and you have a, a, a virtual avatar of yourself that you are pushing uh, into people's homes. What, what is that all about? <laughs> yeah, that's correct. So, so it, it basically started uh, when the pandemic uh, hit. And it's just the, um, um, before the pandemic, um, and I still do actually, but I, I, I give keynotes around the world um, uh, uh, on topics such as digitalization, digital transformation, the future of work, you know, all the things that you talk about in your show um, and uh, really to help organizations, you know, prepare for the, the organization of tomorrow. So, but then the pandemic hit, and obviously uh, the, uh, the, the, the whole flights were grounded, all events were cancelled. So I thought, like, yeah, now what? You know, I had to, I had to do something. 
Um, and then I thought, you know, I had the idea that like, why not practice what you preach? You know, I practice. I I, I always tell, tell tell organizations you you need to you need to digitize yourself. You need to become digital. So why not do that myself? So that's why uh, that's when I decided to let's just uh, you know create a digital twin of myself um, and uh, cover the, the digital world from inside the digital world. Um, and it's a fantastic metaphor for when I talk to organizations because, you know, if I can digitize myself and it, it comes with all these fantastic benefits because all of a sudden I can give talks at multiple locations at the same time. Um, I can speak, or at least my digital twin, can speak multiple languages from uh, you know, uh, French, Spanish, but at some point in the future, uh, Mandarin, Arabic, you name it. Everything is possible, um, and you, I can give talks anywhere on this world and of this world because it's in a virtual environment. So I can literally create my own my own environment, um, and I've now started with just a simple studio and a, a, a basic uh, a digital twin of myself. Uh, and I try, I'm trying to 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 expand this to you know, really create this you know this first talk show in virtual reality where people can join us as, 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 as the audience in virtual reality where you know guests are, everyone is, is, is there as an avatar and we can create this this unique experience uh, of, of bringing people together um, in virtual reality and, and talk about uh, you know the stuff that I that, that I enjoy talking about so that's sort of the idea and uh, I've with this I've created the, the what I call the digital speaker series um, which basically is a, a tech journal where my my avatar covers the digital world uh, sharing you know news in and what these mean for organizations, some thought leadership about you know, uh, algorithmic management, uh, AI journalism, uh, uh, digitalism, those kind of things, and what, what they mean. Um, and with that, I'm trying to, yeah, as you say, push my avatar into people's homes. And, and so far, it's but, been a great so, experience. So far, have you been able to do some of those things that you can't do in person? So have you actually tried to appear in two places at the same time? Have you ever done that yet? Uh, not, not yet. Uh, it's it's on my list, but it is it's certainly possible. Um, I've done you know um, um, keynotes with my avatar. I've done keynotes with my hologram, um, and uh, yeah, I think and they are yeah. prepared. Uh, they are prepared digital keynotes in the sense that they're re pre-recorded in a sense, or. At, at the moment they are, but we are moving to a, to a, to a, I'm building the technology to make it real, uh, like make it live. So that uh, yeah, for, yeah. especially when we're ready for the hybrid events, my, my hologram can appear on stage. And at the same time, my avatar appears for the people watching online, um, either in a 2D or hopefully a, a soon also in virtual reality. Um, and then you have this whole merging of, of virtual and you know, the, the real world uh, coming together. Yeah, I mean, these are fascinating things that have been a long time in the in the coming. I, I wanted us to talk a little bit about VR um, and the history of of VR and all kinds of sort of mixed reality experiences. But maybe let's start uh, because we we said we would talk about the metaverse reality, and uh, I, I I put it that way just because you know metaverse uh, and virtual reality. I mean, you know, the, there are a lot of plays on words here. Meta, as in like beyond something, and verse and cyberverse, and you know, I, I the, there's a lot going on here. But from what I've understood, you can trace this thing back to sci-fi, which everything good can be traced back <laughs> to sci-fi. So there was this novel, Snow Crash, in 1992 uh, from an American science fiction author, and he used this term, metaverse. Uh, but then, of course, William Gibson had the term cyberspace that then got appropriated, I guess, so we now just use it for the internet. W what is the metaverse to you, and why is not everyone, but why are the cool people now talking about it? And why are my kids immersed in it? And, you know, we'll talk about where, where, where it occurs. But, you know, why is that happening now? I didn't hear much about the metaverse even last year. Yeah, well, I think the, the, the reason is because the technology is getting to a certain, uh, um, uh, you know, to a certain stage where it, it is capable of, of creating this metaverse. Um, and we have been seeing you know, uh, the appearances of multiple uh, other yeah, uh, smaller metaverses, so to say, um, uh, where you know, people create this, this entire uh, online environment where you can uh, purchase uh, digital goods with, your, with real, real money and where you know, we have people uh, becoming even, even millionaires by creating, you know, uh, by purchasing or selling land or, or whatsoever. Um, so it, it's been really, it's been in the making for a very long time. Um, and um, I think it's, it's, it's now we are getting to a stage where the technology is almost ready um, uh, to, to where we can really 
merge the, the real world and the virtual world. Although I, I, I still think before we really reach the metaverse, that will, the metaverse, that will still you know, take an, at least another five to 10 years uh, where we can completely merge the, those two worlds. Uh, but now, yeah, as I said, the, the, the technology is ready um, enough uh, for us to start talking about it and to start uh, envisioning what this metaverse will mean and, and what the effects of will it be it will be on, on society, on organizations, or on us humans if we live both in the virtual and in the in the real world. Um, and I think those are very important topics to, to discuss uh, already before we are finding ourselves in the metaverse without having thought about you know what the consequences will be of living in the met- metaverse. Uh, so I think it's uh, an important moment to talk about these kind of things. Yes, I agree with you. So let's first just square away what we're actually talking about. So if the cyberspace has just become another term for the internet, I mean, cyberspace for me is perhaps that was you know at least more understandable term. Uh, but anyway, cyberverse and metaverse. So metaverse meaning an enhanced kind of physical reality because we're not talking about just virtual worlds anymore. We're talking about a virtual space that merges and infringes <laughs> at worst, but certainly has consequences in the real world. So these are, we are real people acting in virtual worlds, intersecting with, with, with our other worlds using augmented reality, internet technologies, mostly in gaming at the moment, at least, you know, my kids, right? So Roblox the company that was made sort of very popular among kids over the last few years went public in March, 41 billion valuation. All of my kids uh, are or were on Roblox. So a couple have graduated out. So that is a metaverse. You know, they're, they're in a virtual world and it was very important during COVID because they couldn't go outside. So they're mostly, they're real friends, but also some virtual friends were in this Roblox metaverse uh, gaming and doing things. And then um, there was Fortnite, right? So a little bit more advanced metaverse, I guess. But again, you know, at least in my experience, and, and again, it's vicarious through my kids. I didn't play much Fortnite. Um, I've but, never you know, these are, <laughs> these are live people that they are interacting with, but yeah. then, you know, they intermix friends they haven't met and then to some extent when we let them i guess uh they they mix with 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 others again and there there is this mixture of real and virtual and now they're even uh digitizing these uh playing creating new video products and audio products out of their experiences in the metaverse that they're then sharing so there is something going on here and i believe that uh, the ceo nvidia Huang, he calls it, and you, you've mentioned this already, digital twin, which to me was an industrial concept. But he says, you know, the metaverse is nothing but just a, 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 it's like a virtual world that's a digital twin of ours. I mean, that's very ambitious. Now you're talking about the whole world as a digital twin. Can you just explain a little bit when you say digital twin? So to me, I know a bunch of companies who are like creating digital twins out of infrastructure, like they have a ship. And then they're creating a digital version so you can simulate the reactions of that ship, right? So that's a business use yeah. case. What, what does digital twin mean to you, uh, you know, in your use case? Yeah. So, so, so to me, what, what a digital twin is, it, it's an, a very accurate um, digital version of um, um, oneself or of an asset or a product or um, even wider, you know, a, a city or, or, you know, it's a precise copy of reality. And then reality can be a, a very small thing, you know, just a human, in this case myself, or it can be very big, you know, it can be a, 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 a complete city. And I think where we are going to, and that's the interesting thing, if we can you know, start to sort of, uh, sort of think about ahead in the future, well, what, what, is the, what are the possibilities of, um, you know, these digital twins? What can we do with this? I mean, I think... When we look at a little bit further in the, in the future, and we try to imagine, you know, using a um, a digital clone um, or similar to 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 my to to my avatar, and exploring a perfect digital version of, let's say, New York or Paris or or the Moon, you know, from the comfort of your home. Um, and then you can take this a step further, where you know you, you could even move around uh, uh, in the real world version. Uh, from the comfort of your home by controlling, for example, a robot or a drone, uh, and, and using the Aries digital twin as a map. So we are 
Yeah, imagine when you, your digital clone is in is is is, is in Paris. Uh, well, you fly your 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 drone from your from your from your home, um, and I think that's sort of where we're moving. If you can see in the future and you look at you know, what does the metaverse mean and where are we going, then it's this this complete uh, convergence of the virtual and real world, where you can control the the, the uh, assets in the virtual uh, in the real world through assets in the virtual world, um, and I think. Uh, that is what is um, uh, offers you know a fantastic opportunity here um, as, as well. Yeah, and I think what what fascinates me is I, I'm, I must admit I've been a 3D and VR skeptic for a while only just because I test these things as like first adopters and then you know again and again when you're disappointed with the functionality you sort of say at some point you say well. Am I just going to be a tester of all these sort of crazy things that just aren't up to snuff yet, or am I going to just wait? But it seems that, you know, both in terms of play, it's starting to get serious. I mean, these games are getting really immersive and engaging. And in terms of learning, I can also see a very, very clear potential. So from entertainment towards, uh, towards learning, but then also, you know, with, I guess, with the pandemic, you realize that shopping is going to change forever. So it's just, there's now a massive incentive to, to turn shopping into this kind of uh, potential and interaction with, with brands. But w- what do you think about more uh, business use cases? So you're using it for speaking. Do you think that uh, business conversation, the way that you are exploring it now, I mean... Even in exploration mode, it's not ready, ready for prime time. It's it's very, you know. Yes, we we, we it's are. Buggy. It, yeah, we are, we're still early stage. I I, I will not deny that, and um, uh, I think there is a lot of happening. That there's a the company called I think Spatial um, that that's trying to envision this as well, where you have you know your 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 avatar and people are working together and they can be in, in a room same room together while not being together. Um, and I think that's that's where I think we, that's where we were heading to. You know, uh, uh, from all the, the, the people that I spoke uh, spoke to and the stories that I read about, you know, uh, are we going to back to, back to normal? Are business people going back in, in, into the plane the moment this pandemic is over? Yes, certainly they will go back to, into the plane, but not to the extent that they were. Because if we are able to to uh, you know not zoom, but then you know the level up where we can be in the, in this room together, and it is. Yeah, you can have this this conversation, or you can ha- you can build it on this product. Um, I think that's definitely possible. And I, I listened to your, your, your podcast with with Vario, and uh, I think that you know, that explains fantastic of, of 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 you know enterprise VR offers the possibilities to um, you know work on 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 a, on, a, on a product together f- while being apart. And uh, so I definitely see the the, um, uh, the 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 future, and I think the near future, getting to a stage where uh, we don't have to travel to be able to meet in person anymore, um, and we mm. can just put on our our, our goggles and or our headset, and we can uh, connect with each other as if we were in the same room wherever in the world. Um, and uh, the investment of a of a headset is of course a lot cheaper than than an investment in a business class ticket to the other side of the world. Yeah, there is one caveat, however, right? And a lot of this depends on bandwidth. And uh, so one thing is fiber, right? Fiber's not everywhere. And the other is 5G. I mean, there are places uh, in the United States where they don't even have 3G. You're sitting there with, uh, you know, you, you're not even on on 3G and you're trying to, you can barely do your email, right? Yeah. So well, yeah, I'm I'm probably spoiled because in the Netherlands I have I think 500 megabytes download per second or so I don't even know and it's it's just you know it, it's just there it's just like electricity so yes I'll, I'll probably be be spoiled here um, uh, but I think even that we are solving you know uh, with 5G coming um, uh, with with space internet coming um, um, it's not going to be there tomorrow but you know in the next in the years to come we will solve those issues. And then once we have, you know, uh, ubiquitous internet across the world, uh, broadband internet, then these kind of technologies can really, uh, really take off. Yeah. So this is for you much more than just another social media, because obviously Facebook, you know, uh, or and many others, right? They want to just turn this into another social media where you can kind of interact uh, at a distance. But you think that this whole waiting game for 
true VR is, uh, it's not over, but it's, uh, it's, it's turned a corner for you? Yeah, de definitely. You know, the fact that I can, you know, record in VR uh, my, my my daily shows and I can do keynotes in VR, um, I think is a, is a great starting point for me. Um, and um, uh, yes, there's still a long way to go, but you, you will we'll get there. And, um, I and think what are the what are the paths? Uh, what are kind of the indicators for you? So bandwidth is one. What about the form factor and the productization of it, like the interfaces where where each company is, like Facebook's. You know, you have the HoloLenses, you have Apple's VR device coming out, perhaps. Um, what is it that's going to, where is it going to start to cut it for people? I mean, you're well, an explorer, you don't really care. I mean, you go to yeah. backpacking in Australia, so you don't really care, right? So you can, <laughs> you can sleep anywhere, you can, right? This is fun for you, but for others who are more convenient, uh, you know, people of convenience. Well, I think it, it will follow the, the same path as we've seen with the smartphone. You know, the, the the smartphone was a stepping stone because it completely changed how we how we how we work and how we interact with people. Um, but at, at at the beginning, it was only for a few people who could be able to develop um, uh, an app for that. Um, um, now we have you know there's an app for that because we have the App Store, whether it's for Google or whether it's for Apple, and that completely changed the playing field. And I think the same thing will appear for for VR and and AR. Um, you know, at the moment we have some headsets. You know, uh, uh, you know, uh, Facebook and with the Oculus, they're spending you know. Uh, Enormous amounts of money and, and pushing that that really 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 hard uh, because Zuckerberg really believes believes in that. Um, there are some of course some dangers of, of trusting Facebook uh, on you know do we want Facebook with all this data of what's happening in in our homes and in VR and etc. But that, that that's that's a different story. Um, but I think it's you know, once we have a headset which is easy to use. Uh, which is relatively good looking and 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 you know not not too heavy to put on your head, um, and we have this platform based economy um, where developers can easily create content um, and and distribute content and consumers can easily consume that content. Um, I think that is required and. There are some uh, some some platforms. You know, we have uh, the Oculus, uh, which is you know a, a relatively cheap uh, VR device that we can use for this. Uh, but I think we we are definitely not there yet because I think the majority of the people uh, that I speak to have never been in VR, or if they have been in VR, they they get nauseous really quickly. Um, so uh, it, it, because it's so immersive, there's an extra component that we need to solve, and that's how we you know how how our minds deal with with the technology. Uh, the other day, I was in, in on the International Space Station <laughs> with my VR, and I got so nauseous, I had to recover for about an hour. Um, and I'm used to VR. Um, so um, it, it's not, um, it, there is still a way to go there. Um, and it depends, of course, how far you, how far, what you want to achieve. But if I look at, you know, what, what Vario is doing or what Microsoft Mesh uh, they recently re re uh, released, uh, I can really recommend watching that video because it's an amazing video of, of how they see the, the vision of, of, of virtual and augmented reality. Um, and um, then we are entering a stage where the, the metaverse is really getting into the, in, you know, into our society and really merging between each other. And I think that's that's where I'm, I'm yeah, looking forward to. And I know we are still early stage, uh, but you know, the, we've, we've, we've left the VR winter and I think we are now heading into spring. Okay, so the season analogies. Uh, but what you also mentioned something about the worries. So you want us to really talk about this. What are some of the more social consequences, the social dynamics that are going to change when, when this becomes, well, even before it becomes commonplace, perhaps, right? Uh, let's just say that the top 5% uh, you know, start playing in this space. So now you have a discrepancy, perhaps, between people who are interacting almost uh, double, or, or not double, you have like 10x or 100x because you're suddenly digitizing yourself. So you can be several places at the same time. You can maybe fetch information. You can interact. You can act. You can do things um, regardless of space. What, what is it that this changes? And what are the important discussions to be had? I think I think there are several discussions to be had. Uh, to be, uh, one is um, uh, what does this do to us humans? Um, you know, uh, what if, um, let's entertain the thought for a second, you know, we have this metaverse and you can live um, uh, completely in virtual reality. If that is possible, it means people will do it. Um, uh, people already live, you know, 
16, 18 hours, 22 hours in, on, on Fortnite. I mean, people in, I think in Asia have died behind the computer by just, you know, being in, in, in Fortnite or whatever game. Um, so that will happen. People will continue, will start to live completely in virtual reality, maybe as a way to escape from the real world for whatever reason. So that is something, you know, I think it's a social issue that we really have to pay attention to. Of how, how are we going to deal with that? Because it, it will happen. Um, the other thing is, I think, is it, which is more um, uh, more important, and because it's already ha- it's already happening. You know, the virtual world is data, um, and 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 how do we deal with that data? Who owns that data? What can you do with that data? You know, if 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 I have um, if I'm Facebook and I have Oculus uh, three with with eye tracking in it, um, um, and then they know exactly what I'm looking at and what I'm uh, uh, what I value, um, even without me telling it. Um, that's in more information than than that I would if maybe even know myself by by looking you know at, at certain parts of of the screen, and that's very valuable data. And I personally don't trust Facebook with that data, um, and uh, maybe other companies I might trust, but Facebook definitely not. Uh, and I think that's that's some that's one of the discussion that we need to have is what, what does this mean if the world if we are living in the matrix. If you know the data is everywhere and 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 we don't control as citizens, we don't control that data. Uh, what happens then? You know, um, uh, do we trust? Yeah, it and just to give you an state? illustration of how little we control, Mark. I mean, I'm I'm no slouch on the internet, but uh, there I just have so many accounts. My my Facebook account got hacked last week, and I've tried to reach out to them, and but I've been busy, so you know I'm reaching out <clears> through employees and various other people because obviously the normal connection, which is please help me doesn't work. They, they don't really care about individuals at this stage, yep. which, you know, they're, they're far too, too big to, to, to do that. That's a whole other discussion. But the fact that when something like this happens, you are almost helpless. And, you know, you might have, you know, in my case, I think not so much information in there, but, you know, you might have financial information in there. You certainly have a lot of identity information and you're starting to share things that could, you know, have financial consequences, but they, like you said, they could have other consequences. They could tarnish your, maybe uh, not just your credit record, but your social record. Like if someone starts now to run around and do crazy things with this account until I get control of it. I mean, these are, even today, with a very, very passive Facebook account or, or any other social account, we can, you know, generalize. This is pretty serious. But fast forward, until a, a day when you know I have been interacting in, like you said, in in the metaverse, and I have all these identities, maybe bought properties, and 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 my avatar is living all in all these places. Now, now someone takes that over. That's that's very serious well, business. Well, or even worse, you know, Facebook decides that they don't like you anymore, and then with a delete click on the button, they delete you. Right, 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 right. So now you have what happens? Yeah, your identity, everything you built, everything you worked for, um, is in the hands of Mark Zuckerberg. You know, yeah, yeah. Personally, I find it very, very worrying. And of course, there are solutions to this. Yeah, we have self-sovereign identities being being developed, where you control the data, you control your identity, um, and you have you know full control over over that, and you do, you're not dependent on others. But then again, yeah. the self-sovereign identity. Um, if your identity li- lives on your phone with you know uh, uh, with 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 the, the right cryptography, and I lose my phone, people lose phones all the time. Um, do yeah. I lose my identity? And these are different problems um, that yeah. that arise when we move to self-sovereign identity. So this is a there's a enormous rabbit hole uh, uh, that we can go into if we if we want uh, of of what what happens when you know uh, uh, the world becomes data all over the place. And um, I think that's something to, that that worries me a lot. I'm a, I'm a very positive person by nature, but uh, the more you know, technology is in essence neutral, obviously, uh, and we can use it for good or we can use it for bad. But even if we want to use it for good, you know, like Zuckerberg had all the intentions to do good when he started uh, Facebook, uh, I, I I I assume, um, and um, uh, it turns out that it, he created a monster, um, and he can't basically control it anymore himself. Um, so what happens if this is at a much larger scale? So you wrote a book about this, right? The Organization of Tomorrow. And I guess in that case, you're applying the organizational lens. There's many other lenses. Right now, we just took Facebook as as one you know, big tech player. There are many others, and they all have the same versions of the same problem. Facebook has perhaps the biggest problem uh, because it's so tied to to personal identities, right? 
but many, many other organizations are holding important data and they will have to shepherd that data. They would have to establish good principles. And when they become as large as this, you know, if you have a billion people in your account system, that is a big responsibility, but it, but it is a responsibility. It means you, you, you have to treat each individual uh, as an individual. I mean, there yeah. are laws for this, you know, I mean, we, you know, an individual has a value. By the way, in the metaverse, it's not 8 billion anymore, right? It could be 80 billion. Yeah. <laughs> And I think that 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 is that is the challenge that that that's ahead of us. You know, we we are creating these digital identities, um, and they are so scattered around. You know, and um, I think that the average account that, you, that a, a, an internet user had is, is I think ninety. Uh, I read some uh, in, a, in a report recently. Um, um, so that that's quite significant. Um, and you know, so you need to depend on lo- all those ninety companies to take care of your data in the correct way. And we all know that you know organizations are very bad at, at keeping their you know data secure. Um, there are so many examples of, of this happening all the time. Um, and I think that's 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 very problematic. And they expect, I think, in twenty twenty five, five to ten trillion dollars of annual uh, uh, revenue or cost due to cybercrime. So these are, are enormous numbers. And um, and that's only that, that, that we talk about, you know, data being stolen. Uh, you know, what about data that we don't control or identities that we don't control because of the state or because of, you know, uh, there is there's so much to discover here, um, um, which I think we, we as a society, we need to have these discussions. Because if we just, you know, uh, run into the metaverse <laughs> and we wake up with, uh, with our headset on, I think we, we, we have a big problem. Yeah, there, are, <laughs> there certainly are some issues that could that could happen. Um, Dataflock is a while back. You started this company to do something that I passionately believe in, which is, you know, there is information overflow, but there, you know, we're not helpless. There are ways to curate information, and some of the answer is in peer to peer. You you find people you trust. So it's recommended information. Part of it is, of course, in algorithms, but the current algorithms are rather simple, I would say, right? You know, it started with the Amazon movie recommendations and book recommendations first. Um, And they were all right. They never really worked for me. I mean, that's not how I look for books. It's like you bought a book on organizations. Now I get like 90 books in organizations. You buy from a different bookstore. They still pitch you the book that you have read nine times and have in your bookshelf. I mean, and even if it worked, like I, it's slightly annoying, right? My brain is somewhat larger in capacity. I just don't need to get another book that has organization in the title. Right. And they haven't gotten much better, but you know, arguably in the beginning, very impressive, right? Super impressive. You can recommend this. And, and, you know, now in product recommendation, I'm not going to object to the general concept, right? I, I just want to introduce sort of algorithms and product recommendations. Generally, it actually serves somewhat of a purpose because, you know, if you're like me, some people care about soap, so they are experts on soap. But if you don't care about soap, you, you may actually enjoy some recommendations on, on, on some adjacent products. So they are not without their merit. But what, what was your idea with Dataflock and, and, and why are you somewhat... Uh, Agreeing, I guess, with me on the simply on these algorithms needing to be complemented sl- somewhat by uh, by better approaches. So, so, so Dataflock is, is is my content platform where um, um, I plus another five hundred so other authors from around the world share, share content. Um, and um, Dataflock is 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 predominantly that you know it's a place where people can learn about emerging technologies um, in a sort of a trusted environment. Um, and um, I think the, the, the also what I, what I think is that you're referring to is, is is more Maven, which is my other company, where we are trying to to to, to find a way around these recommendation algorithms because they they bring us into a filter bubble. Um, and uh, with that, we we are trying to create um, a, a recommendation algorithm where the content is recommended by your peers and not by AI. Um, and- right. I guess I was trying to make the bridge between because the, the whole idea, which I, if I'm understanding correctly, of Dataflock, which is it, it is a bunch of writers. They, I guess it's not like there's no algorithm directing you know what you're sharing, but it is this community, 
So yeah. as long as you buy into, okay, I think these writers generally have something to say, you, you go into kind of a, a community and you say, all right, there's going to be something here. So you, you yeah. have like a playground of, of a community of authors. But, but Maven then is, is more of this scoring concept. How can you establish trust in content? It's a perennial problem. It's it's again it's, it's a, a huge problem that we face uh, at the moment because we are moving to a um, you know um, an age where we can't trust anymore what we read what we watch or what we hear online um, and uh, you know the, if, if 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 the pandemic has shown us one thing is that, that it, was not, it was not only a pandemic it was also an infodemic you know uh, the, the 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 flood of misinformation that came came our came our way was was just uh, you know too big to ignore and so what we try to do with with maven is we are basically trying to buy, to, to to build an imdb for for written content um and uh, but we take into consideration um what people's expertise is and what what people's exp- uh, reputation is so if you uh, consume an article on, I don't know, let's, uh, let's say uh, virtual reality, um, and you are an expert on virtual reality, then your rating will have more weight. And if you then uh, comment on, t- on it as well, or if you provide context to your rating, then your, uh, your comment will have more visibility. Um, and then those comments can be uh, peer-reviewed or upvoted and downvoted, so as we are uh, very very much uh, familiar with. But we take into consideration your reputation and your expertise there as well. Um, and then the idea is that you as a user, you are able to find, uh, you can filter content based on uh, based on your peers. So you can say, I want to see content in my newsfeed of those users who have a high uh, expertise on virtual reality and augmented reality, who have been verified so that they know that they don't, uh, they're not bots or trolls, um, who have a minimum reputation score of X, etc. So you can really create your own interpretation lens almost of how you would want your uh, the con- content to be recommended to you and then you can easily switch between those to not you know end up in a filter bubble um uh, well that was what that i was going to say because i've had some experience building a product like that myself and it i found it you know in, in my company yegi uh i found it difficult right so we developed some so, some trust uh and rating systems for content but you know one is of course to cope with the enormous amount of information on the internet and have some sort of reasonable coverage, even if you pick some expertise areas. So you have to be, yeah, I'm curious how you solve that problem because there, you know, if you were to do sort of like you want to try to index, you know, we, we started with this idea of trying to index some amount of information, but, but starting with very trustable sources, even that gets you to an almost insurmountable amount of content and then of course when you get to the reviewer side it's hard because who do you consider an authority on the on the subject i mean you know you might uh, i might consider you an authority on certain aspects of technology but but i mean you're also fallible i mean we're all fallible so you know what how much should you trust uh individuals really very, very good point, and <clears throat> it is very difficult. Of you know, um, uh, how do we ensure that the you know, people rating content that they are not biased either, or they or they are trying to you know influence an article because they don't like the author, or, uh, or yeah, or there could be all kinds of reasons. Now, you know, you're pitching something in addition, right? You know, you are a person of integrity, but you're also a person that has uh, various businesses or you're pitching your book or you your friend wrote this article i mean we're all susceptible to all these biases yeah that, uh, true and that, that, that's why we are looking into using expertise and reputation in this regard so that um and, and we combine that with the concept of the hive mind so the concept of the hive mind is that you um, you know if, if a million people say a uh, the likelihood of it being a is very very high um, and so if um, the same thing goes happens on IMDb, you know, if uh, a movie has been rated an eight, uh, the chances of it being a really good movie is, is quite high. Of course, there are still people who don't like it, um, uh, but the, the chance of it being a good movie is quite high. But that's just the same methodology that we want now to Now you're also assuming, though, that a good movie is something that a lot of people like. So the, there are things that are great that very few people like. Right, yeah. so this is the other problem that we are that we both have. If you're trying to do this, because if you think about it, um, 
discerning quality is also about this, you know, the layer of discernment is something that not everybody in the end will agree about. Completely agree. And, and the interesting thing is we can overcome that with, with our solution because um, if you um, are into Quentin Tarantino movies, for example, um, uh, you like that type of movies, but you don't like you know, the James Bond type of movies, you know, whatever. Um, you can filter on, you know, on your peers who also are in that same bracket and you can see, you, you get a different perspective. On 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 the movies that are that are that are rated by that particular user group versus the entire user group, so you basically get the results of a of a of a of a yeah smaller group, um, and that I think that can be really really interesting. The same thing when we look at you know booking a restaurant and there are five hundred reviews. You, nobody's going to read five hundred reviews, um, uh, but if I would be able to filter those five hundred reviews of, of based on those review uh, reviews written by people who I like to you know align myself with that might help in my quest to find those five reviews that are relevant to me within those 500 um, and so where do you currently go when you're looking for information so you know beyond maven which you know would you know, I can link that up for people but in your field so you're you know futurist you're interested in vr and we'll, we'll get to um a specific topic we're going to talk about in a second, uh, you know, digitalism. But anyway, leaving that aside for the moment, wh where do you go or where did you go before Maven? Where, where did you find your trustable sources that was directing the way you, you're thinking about emerging technologies? Yeah, so, so I um, um, have a few sources that I always follow, a few a few platforms that I, that I follow. Um, I have, uh, I trust on my peers that my people, uh, you know, that we send content to each other, you know, uh, this is an interesting article or, you know, did you look at this? It uh, might be relevant to you. Um, and that helps a lot uh, because then I know that the content that I get, um, I, I can trust. Um, I, and I, I read a lot of books. Um, uh, I really try to, uh, to, to <laughs> cover as many books as possible because there's so much interesting content, content out there. Um, uh, so that's why, where I uh, get my research as well. And then in addition to, to that, to talking to a lot of people, um, uh, talking to people such as yourself, or other futurists, other people in this space, um, uh, CEOs, etc., um, that provides a lot of insights about where the where the world is heading and how the world is changing, um, and and that helps uh, a lot to me uh, of of getting my knowledge of what's going on and and, and based on the knowledge in trying to, to figure out my, the picture of myself. Of how I look at the world, uh, based on what, whatever I uh, knowledge I, I consume. Hmm. Let's talk about the actual future uh, for for a second. You and I had a little conversation earlier, and you shared with me your thought that digitalism as a political doctrine, not just as the fact that there is data out there and we're all digital uh, to some extent, as a Global political doctrine, you know, in some way will eventually, you think, replace liberalism. What, what do you mean by that? And why is that important to think about now? Well, I think what, what's, what is happening is that data, as we, we discussed, is becoming more and more important. Um, and uh, the current world that we live in, uh, you know, the current values of liberalism are slowly, you know, uh, getting, you know, Less active or less prominent in in, in society, you know, uh, free competition, you know, is 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 you know is is being damaged because these big tech giants they can buy whatever they want, you know, and uh, and and innovation doesn't get a chance anymore because before you know it uh, they they've been bought up, um, um, and I think that that is um, uh, one of the the problems, and slowly I think you know organizations as well as governments are seeing that you know this data has tremendous power. Um, and especially when the pandemic hits, you know, all of a sudden, uh, all governments around the world, you know, uh, were very fast and very quick to to come create these apps that would track and trace you and would follow you and um, uh, would connect you with where you've been, and you know, all with good intentions. Uh, but we should always be very careful that that, that it, it doesn't stay here once you know the, the crisis is over. 
And, and if I look at, for example, in other regions of the world, uh, let's say uh, in this case, China, where, you know, it's now, you know, completely normal that you check in everywhere, your temperature is being measured everywhere, you know, everything is, is, um, uh, is being measured. Um, I think the Apple's privacy statement that was announced yesterday uh, is not being activated in, in China because that's not allowed. Um, and so they are very much using all this data to control the people. Um, and, um, and the same thing is happening, I think, in America, but then it's not the state and it's the corporations. Um, and we need to find a way that it's, that, that data is not being used to enslave us, whether it's by the state or by the, by corporations, but data is being used to empower us, uh, and to, to have full control over our identities that we just, you know, discussed earlier. Uh, when we are in the metaverse, we, we want to have control over identity, our identities. We want to have control, uh, how our data is being used, by whom the data is being used. And not that, you know, um, uh, some next generation, uh, social network can completely analyze, you know, our thought processes and, and with a push of the button can change, uh, our behavior. Um, and that's something that we, we, I think we should really avoid. And again, the same thing with the metaverse discussion that we had earlier. Um, this is happening. This is being built, being created as we speak. And if we don't think about it now, uh, I think by the time it, you know, uh, we wake up to it, it's, it's too late. Um, and that's why I'm trying to, to push this message. Well, so, so here's my question though, because in the olden days, um, I guess, you know, the, the, uh, kind of imagined olden days, then governments were good guys because governments were what we created to protect ourselves from ourselves, essentially, and to to ensure that we had some sort of structure and to go on with our daily life knowing that there was someone who was kind of looking out for, for everyone else. Um, arguably, that's not the case, obviously, in all states around the world. And the, and the state, national state system, the system nation states has all kinds of problems in, in the global environment and, and data being, you know, has this like globalizing feature to it. But you're saying corporations obviously cannot necessarily be trusted either, although one solution would of course be to think that the corporations need to take on government-like functions. I mean, I would say that a big tech company these days that doesn't think like a uh, like a nation state thought about in the 18th century doesn't deserve to live right i mean that that's just a fact we we cannot afford to have in my opinion these companies walk around and think they're just companies they are not they are actually going to have to take on the social functions of the previous nation states now that's for me that's like an obvious statement it is not happening however it is just slowly seeping in but well, beyond I, that you're sort of saying uh, there's sort of a new contract between the citizens and and their data that needs to be created you you're seeing some of it in the EU you say yeah which is uh, actually kind of strange because the EU is a neoliberalist project in and of itself and it's a regional entity not a global entity so this is kind of contradictory yes i i, I understand what, you, what you're saying but the, the the way what i uh, see is is that you know um the, the the why i say that the digitalism will replace liberalism is because it's it will be the first you know um way of organizing society that is being embraced by by all states around the world, because everyone sees the benefits of using data to organize your society. Um, but there are multiple ways how you can organize a society. You can do it according to the way to, to China is doing, where there's full state surveillance um, and full control over the people. You can do it in a way that's happening in, in, in America, where there's a lot of people are, are you know, uh, very capitalist. You, know, you have these massive tech giants that, as I agree with you, should behave like states, but don't behave like states because they are not being enforced and, they are, and the government is not capable of of, of enforcing them because they're well, I was saying they should, in their self-interest, behave like states, uh, which is a sl slightly different point. But anyway, um, I get it. Yeah, yeah, fair, fair enough. But it, it's still it, it's they, they behave in the interest of, of capitalism, which is trying to make as uh, in the, you know try to make as much money for for the shareholder. Um, and I think we should move and uh, um, uh, we should build a society, or I would want to live in a society where um, you know uh, we. Build society for state for the stakeholder management. So for for citizens, for society, where everyone can benefit, and then you can use data in a way um, such as the EU is doing, where they have the GDPR, where they have these AI guidelines, where they have this risk based approach to AI that they was released a couple of weeks ago, uh, where at least they are trying to to to, to 
create the frameworks so that um, uh, we are going to live in a society, hopefully in the next decades, where we as, as citizens have full control. Um, and then how that society then or is organized, that's then a second point. But at least the citizens have full control over their data in, in, and they have full control over the state instead of the other way around. Well, I mean, that's that's also a society I want to live in, but I, I guess I'm just pointing out that there is no current organization that has as its incentive to build this kind of global uh, organi- you know, global organizing principle. The EU might be doing it now in name, and you know, they, there may be some good initiatives there, but the essence of the EU is not to provide a global data haven for the world. And it also doesn't have jurisdiction around the world, right? So, so it, it may be nice, and you sort of think of it, you live in Holland and it sounds like a great thing, but I, I'm just sort of pushing back a little bit, saying this is not the right organization to make those changes. It could be a, a good force for change for a little while, but it's not sufficient is what I'm saying. Well, yes, you know, if I, I guess if we if we live in a society where you know data determines everything, um, literally everything, because everything and anything will become data, uh, where everything and anything can and will be tracked. Um, and um, I'm not. It's the, the point I'm trying to make is not that the EU uh, will you know create this, this the right framework for the entire world. And I think there there are different streams of digitalism, you know, and there are two streams which I uh, state digitalism, where the state controls the data, or neo digitalism, where the uh, you know the the, the corporates control the uh, the data. But there is, um, I would say, there is, you know, you want to move to a to an era where uh, you control the data. And I think the EU is trying to build it within the EU um, and not so much uh, and then can export that if they will want that at a later stage, just like GDPR has become sort of a, a, a framework uh, around the world as well. Got it. Well, these are, uh, these are big questions. I'm, uh, I'm really happy to explore them with you. And I think we should uh, probably for, uh, for this episode end it now but uh it's been fascinating to hear your ideas and i'm I'm glad we connected on this and i hope we can uh can keep keep talking likewise and and thanks for for having me and yeah there's so much to to discuss Uh, we can easily go down this rabbit hole a lot more i think (laughs) you have just listened to episode 110 of the futurized podcast with host trondane unheim futurist and author the topic was the metaverse reality In this conversation, we talked about how the metaverse might become a key feature of the organization of tomorrow. My takeaway is that the metaverse, for all the hype, is just another version of the internet. It might be a badly designed version though, and that is not helpful. The upside, perhaps, is that as people embrace virtual worlds, they might get some needed break from a tough reality. However, at the moment, the metaverse is looking like it will be productized way early in its life cycle, and that will limit the creation of the kind of innovation space that spurred the internet into a broad, humanity-expanding platform. Thanks for listening. If you liked the show, subscribe at futurize.org or in your preferred podcast player and rate us with five stars. If you like this topic, you may enjoy other episodes of Futurized, such as episode 101, The Future of Consciousness, episode 54, The Future of AR, or episode 68, Industrial-Grade Mixed Reality. Futurized, conversations that matter.